They got the pronunciation. Pronunciation. Do you hear what I said? The pronunciation right as well. The pronunciation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best 57 minutes of your entire life. It's Under the Radar. Part of the Athletic Fantasy <laughs> Baseball Purdcast Network. I'm your host, Nando No, I'm Derek Van Riper. I almost thought it was Nando for a minute there. <laughs> Good one. Good yeah. one. Keep going. Keep going. You got to finish it out. No, nah, no, nah, I can't do the whole thing. I got the first part done. I feel you did. good about you that. You did. Thank you for that. Thank you. I'm glad you did that. Uh, good, good, good job. Good job. I, I am now in a quiet place. I'm in, not in my home up in Cooperstown, New York. Went to the Hall of Fame for the very first time uh, two days ago. Uh, with you know, some people, I, there was a guy who kind of threw a little shade at me about talking about my son's baseball team. Um, you know what? Sorry, there's the shade. It's part of my baseball world. It's more part of. I go to more of these games than I go to New York Yankee games, and it's brought us up to Cooperstown. And um, and listener, there are dads who are listeners of the show. A little tip of my hat to you, Chris Dolan. Um, and uh, it's, it's it was amazing. And actually going to the Hall of Fame, watching the 17 minute movie. DVR, have you ever been to the Baseball Hall of Fame? I have not been to the Hall of Fame. I'd like to go. I've been told you have to spend more than one day there to really see yeah. all of it. You know what? I didn't even think about it as getting it done. Like, I kind of took in what I took in. There's a great 17-minute movie that's really very well done. You bring a tear to your eye. Give you a little natural. Give you a little feel of dreams at the end. But, no, the experience is, is really awesome. And it, it really changes the dynamic. You get a, a real feel for when someone says he's a Hall of Famer. And at some point, when Nando's back, uh, sometime in the offseason, because the offseason is, season is coming. It's like I'm back in Game of Thrones mindset. Winter is coming. Um, winter is coming. And at some point, I really want to go over guys who've made it into the Hall of Fame. That I got a little bit of a bone to pick about. I'm like, you should not be in the Hall of Fame. No. Sorry, Goose Gossage. Sorry, Catfish Hunter. I have an argument about the two Yankees. No. Sorry, Trevor Richards. No. No, sir. I vote no. No, Lee Smith. No. Anyway, we, we'll get to that in the offseason. Um, but yeah, so it's it, I, I. That's thank you for doing the opening, the Nando opening, because I did not have the volume to, to be able to pull that off. Yeah, now the time change sort of puts one of us in the driver's seat for the not right. intros. And if we do an evening <laughs> record, it's me. If we do a morning record, it, it's it's being you. be me. That's right. That's how people can tell. That's your uh, behind the curtain moment here. All right. So wait, I'm going to, I'm going to, because we, we flip it back and forth, which is uh, so much fun. We're going to talk about a lot of really good stuff today. We're going to talk about Alejandro Kirk and his stature. Then we're going to talk about like catchers and how DVR is not interested in any more bad catchers. We're going to take a quick look at an awesome early 2023 draft that Rob DiPietro put together with some real great players. Um, and then we're going to talk about closers with Emmanuel Classe. We got some really good in-season play questions uh, where, that we've been talking about talking about. And now we're going to talk about them. And then we've got some under-the-radar guys. And then if you think that we're not going to talk about Artie Moreno on this show today, the greatest owner in baseball, greatest owner in baseball, we're going to have to talk about that too. Don't you think, Tibir? Yeah, Nando was boarding a flight earlier today heading to Los Angeles to then drive to Anaheim to speak to Artie Moreno mm -hmm. and try to talk about selling the team. Yeah, because why would the best owner in baseball actually sell the team? He doesn't need to. He needs to regroup and everything will be fine. Exactly. But we should start with Alejandro Kirk because I think people underrate this guy since he doesn't fit the mold, right? He's just an unusual player from a pure stature perspective. We're talking about a guy who's listed at 5'8", might not even be that tall, <laughs> listed at 265 probably is a little bit heavier 265 he's probably a little heavier than that look at you dude he's okay. probably a little heavier than that that's all fine you know what that that's fine because one of the things i've learned playing fantasy baseball for what year is this 2022 probably for about 20 years now players don't have to fit the mold right the outliers are what determine failure and success in our game and i think if you try and get every player to look a certain way, to have the right build, to have the right tools, to have everything exactly the way you want it to be. If you have all these requirements to be into a player, you will not have enough good players on your teams, right? You'll miss out mm -hmm. on a lot of good players along the way. And Kirk is now 176 games into his big league career as we record this. He's a career 286, 364, 452 what? hitter. Yeah, it's a really good line. 11% career K rate, and he's popped 21 homers now in 618 plate appearances. So I just think this is a great player to look at and say, the next time there's a prospect who 
is too short or too tall or too heavy or too light or has strange mechanics. If you've been the kind of person over the years who's been skeptical of something different not working, think twice about it. Think three times about it because 10 years ago, I would have just been so far away from an Alejandro Kirk on my rosters and I'd be missing out in a big way. And now I'm looking at this guy. I think there's actually one more level that he can reach. Yeah, sure. I mean, he's new to the game, right? I mean, he... How old is Kirk? Debuted young. He's 23. Ooh, goodness. I mean, look, in a one-catcher league, none of this really matters. Though it does matter a little bit because there is a clear delineation between, like, the top two or three guys and the rest. But, eh, top 12, there's there's 12 good catchers you can have in a one-catcher league. Maybe even 13, Cal Raleigh. As, as one of them, Kybert Ruiz. We're looking at, like, this pulls us back to the DiPietro draft. As it, it, You could look it up on Rob DiPietro's Twitter account. Uh, he has the board up there. First catcher is taken in the fifth. Is that right? In the fifth? No, in the fourth. JT Real Mudo, which might be a little bit of a surprise, but actually not really that much if you take a look at how well he's doing. Then Sal Perez goes. Then Will Smith goes. Ooh. God, Will Smith is good. Rob Rob Mershak, oh, you were right. Adley Rutschman goes in five. I'm curious what you think of that. Then we go further, and we get to Dalton Varsho in the seventh. We've had many conversations about that. Wilson Contreras, who I actually think is a beast. A beast. I really like that there. Our friend Alejandro Kirk. And then in the seventh round, two more catchers, and I have argument with these last two, MJ Melendez and Tyler Stevenson. What is the state of the catcher right now, Rob? Because what what you're saying there, uh, DVR, is you're saying you don't want the bad catchers anymore. How far down do you go before you get to the bad ones? And you know what I mean? Yeah, that list is longer. It's longer now than it has been in a few years, I think. I think this young group of catchers breaking in, and Kirk's part of that. Rutschman's obviously a big part of that. He's been on our radar for a few years. Even MJ Melendez, ever since he lowered the K rate yeah. at high A a few years ago or after high A a few years ago, we've started to look at some of this this group and say, hmm, once these guys will hit the big leagues, this position is going to be better. And there's still plenty of Francisco Alvarez is coming. Henry Davis, not too far behind him. Harry Ford is my guy. Harry Ford is my guy. Harry Ford, my guy. Sorry, keep going. More prospects coming. There's a few that are up that are holding their own. Sean Murphy's still sort of young, good player. Freaking what's at Cal Raleigh been really decent Raleigh. If you, if you take a look at his numbers from about what may 15th on, he's been excellent. Got off to a little bit of a slow start. He's been excellent. Two home runs in like three days, but the guys, here's my argument against this really, I think overemphasis in this draft and, and no judgment. Everyone did a really good job. People are really smart. Um, but I do think and Jenny Butler, excellent job, Jenny. Um, I really think that as it gets later, there are guys that I like kind of equally as much that I have a feeling are going to be around in like four or five rounds, six, seven rounds later. Guys like Jonah Heim, Christian Vasquez, Travis Darnot, and William Contreras, Sean Murphy. These are guys who are ranking really high. So I, for me, the real Mudo, Smith, Wilson Contreras, Varsho, Kirk maybe even, you want to you go seven in the top seven rounds Perez, I think, falls into that category. Rutschman, maybe. But some of the other guys, not not so sure about. But I, I've always had a blind spot on Tyler Stevenson. What, what am I missing? I'm missing. Something I'm missing. What am I missing? People love him. Look look how he got drafted. What do you say? Tyler Stevenson, teach me. I don't have anything against Tyler Stevenson from a skills perspective. I do think the injuries for this year could be a little bit of a concern heading into the future seasons. But I, I don't have any argument against him other than is the power his or is the power the result of the park? He's not changing teams, so you don't have to worry about that You know, for now. But I do think from like a long-term perspective, is he a good catcher in a great environment? Is he an average catcher in a great environment? Figuring out the core skills is really important. I think people like him because as a rookie last year, Tyler Stevenson came up, kept the K rate under 20%, drew a ton of walks, which he's done everywhere he's been in the minors. He's been a very patient hitter, Pretty much at every full season minor league stop he's been at. And he has at least flashed ample power. So I, I think it's kind of average power for the position that plays up because of the park for now. I think it's future potential 
Fangraphs is a 65 on his raw power. A lot of power. There could be more to come. All right. All right. I just So the floor is already good. The floor's safe. I think people like it because he's a safe floor guy and they could look at him and say maybe he's a top 5 catcher in his best years because of the park and because of the raw power potential that he has not tapped into yet. I get it. I just still from my perspective just don't want him in the 7th. And no disrespect to anybody who took him in the 7th. Look, again, just just to be clear, I can be down on a guy and he can turn into something special or I could be high on whatever it is. It doesn't mean that I'm definitely right at all. It's just I'm just sharing my POV on this that Melendez and Stevenson are too early in this draft. Everyone else I can make an argument. Kirk might be unique and special. Contreras is unique and special. Varsho is completely unique and special. Rutschman, a little early, but I guess you can buy that, right? It's just people wanted to have good catchers. I don't like the top catchers. I like, I'll grab a Sal Perez if the if it's, re, you know, I'll grab one of the top guys if they fall, fall, fall. But I like the Darno Vasquez area. That's my friends. Jonah Heim, give me your, give me your pick 245, two good catchers. Maybe a little earlier, two, 225, two good catchers on the wheel. I love it. That's That's where I want to go. Anyway, that's where that's where catchers are. Kirk, I think, is special. I, I wonder what's going to happen with Gabriel Moreno. What do you think? It's possible they make a trade. A lot of teams that have catching depth like that figure out some other way. They don't really move guys to other positions most of the time, especially if they're good defensive catchers. I, I think with the Jays, I think Moreno seems like the guy they like the most all around. So maybe they move Danny Jansen and just go with Moreno and Kirk. Next Moreno year. and Kirk and let Kirk DH when Springer doesn't have to DH every day. God, Springer's good. Yeah, I can hit. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch a guy who was a perennial top 26 prospect, top 22 prospect. He was always there, sometimes 18, sometimes 25, and just be like just a great hitter, great baseball player who really brings a lot to the table. All right, next next thing you have on this very fine list is we're talking about finding the next Emmanuel Classe, who is the filthiest young reliever in the pool right now without the top fly, five closer tag. Felix, oh, I'm not going to say. You say, who do you think might be that dude? And what are the dudes you got? And I got a dude or two, too. I'm closing in on, on Felix Bautista being that guy, that next elite, Nasty. elite reliever. The difference, I think, is that when Classe had the breakout a few seasons ago, he was not, during draft season, a surefire closer, right? That was the James Karinchak year, if I remember yes. right. And Class yep. A was kind of in the pick 250, 300 range in a lot of leagues. So he ended up being a great bargain because he got the job and he's kept it ever since. Bautista is getting a chance to close right now. He's showing everyone how good he is. I guess there's maybe a window either right now if your league still allows trades, which most leagues don't. Or in early, early drafts, if you start playing draft and hold during the, the fall, maybe you can get Bautista before everything gets priced in. Maybe. Maybe. I, mean, I think the I stuff is pure filth. I think he's the guy. I kind of agree with you. I think he's the guy. I think Doval, you might also be able to get for a small discount. Um, what do you do? Do you just avoid Tampa? Just, just. Like, no, I'm not going to do it. It's like trying to date a woman and you just keep calling her and she kind of gives you the time of day and then she doesn't call you back for like two weeks. And then you're like, well, all right, forget this. So this is what happened with the woman who ended up being my wife, you know, six years later. <laughs> but what, what, what do you, what do you, what do you do with Tampa? Because Peter Fairbanks was on the cutting block, on the chopping block in our main event team for Mershak and myself. And then Saturday and Sunday he gets two saves and it's like, all right, well, is that what that means now? Like, now are you the closer? Like, what happened to Adam? What happened to Adam? What do you do? What do you do in Tampa? Because Fairbanks, if Fairbanks just had the freaking job and they just said, you're the guy, filthy, filthy. But they're not going to do that, right? I don't think so. It's been a few years since they've leaned heavily on one closer. They did it in 2017 with Alex Colomay. He had 47 saves that year. The Rodney season the great, great Fernando Rodney season where he had the, the .60 ERA. Mm. That's 2012. It's 10 years ago now. That's way, way in the past. So it's been a while since the Rays have turned to one and only one realistic source of saves. I think it's more a question of what the rest of the league is doing because we're probably getting closer to the point where the teams that use committees but still have maybe one guy that gets 
half or even two-thirds of the chances, and they have a couple other guys that get the rest, we're going to have to be willing to take a chance and try and figure out who has the largest share of the like role. Exactly, yeah, Seawald's a great example of this. And I think if the skills are good enough, those are situations where you're going to speculate. And I think the Rays do a good job of finding highly skilled relievers to use in these spots. So league depth is going to be a key here. If you're playing in a, a 10-team league, you're probably not looking much in this bullpen. But if you're playing in a 15-team league, you probably are. If you're playing in a 12, yeah. you're screwed. You're right in the middle spot yeah, where you probably right. have to think about it, right? 12-team leagues are so hard for that reason. Everybody is almost in play, it feels like, in a 12-team league. Yeah. You get these difficult cut decisions. Uh, but the bullpen committees in 12-team leagues, I think, are extra frustrating. In a 15 the threshold for what you need for just the quality of those innings for that ninth pitcher, the quality of that pitcher tends to be worse. So you don't necessarily have to have a reliever getting saves every single week to fill out that last spot if the other stuff is good, if the win probability is high, if the K rate's good. You can get away with that. I think you have to decide, though. There's there's a couple problems you can have on draft day. right? We started the show talking about catchers. Now we're talking about relievers. Why are we doing this? Think about roster construction. You can't usually have all of the the luxury items. I consider elite closers to be a luxury. I consider yep. elite catchers to be a luxury. Yep, that's right. It's very difficult to build a team where you have both or all of those things. It'd be a strange build if you think about uh, like the draft that you were talking about at Deadpool Hitter on Twitter is the Twitter handle that Rob has. By the way, nice. if you want to see this board, if you squeeze in two catchers in the first seven rounds, which Brian Slack did. Who he did. Brian Slack did. He's got Real Mudo and Kirk. Real Mudo in the fourth, wow. Kirk in the seventh, and wow. he's got a closer in the sixth. So he didn't go elite, elite, and I think that's about as much as you could reasonably throw at catchers and closers in the early part of a draft. Ah, he's also got Corbin Carroll in the fifth. But he's, you know, it counts. I mean, this I, that's that's well, I don't know. Maybe that might end up being a, a sweet little spot. Well, you know, and and you can't break down kind of at this point any one team's team's board. But yes, I I I fully agree with you. The the two catchers and the closer. You're right, especially Adams. And and I don't know how you I don't know how you build yourself around that. What's it going to cost you later? What's harder to find later? I think it's becoming easier to find decent sources of saves because of committees, because of situations like Tampa Bay, because of of Seattle and and Seawald getting enough of a share. I would rather spend up on early catching, even if it's only one. It doesn't have to be two in yeah, the first seven I want, rounds. I don't want two. I don't want two. Two's too many. I'm not opposed to two if it's the right two in the right circumstances, but I do want to get at least one of my top seven or top eight. And I was just thinking about how this is starting to sound a lot like the way I started looking at closers about five years ago, right? Like the thing that I want now, more than an elite closer, is actually an elite catcher. Because I think there's a bigger, wow. there's a bigger gap between those top catchers compared to the, the guys you get later than there is between the top relievers and the options you'll find later on. And how many how many premium catchers do you call? How many premium guys are you saying there are? Premium, premium that fits into that category. Elite of the elite catchers right now. Will Smith, I think he's the catcher I want the most. More than Real will, Mudo. More than Real Mudo. Even more than Real Mudo, yes. I, if you give me the Mershak choice straight up, I'll smiling. take Will Smith. Three years ago, two years, no, whenever we started playing, two years ago when we started DL1, uh, partnering in DL1, we had Will Smith and I was talking about moving and he said, no, 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 you can't trade Will Smith. I was like, no, I could, we could, we could trade Will Smith. He's like, no, in a couple of years, Will Smith will be the absolute number one dynasty catcher. I was like, I don't know. I mean, I don't love all his movies. I mean, it's really, you know, and he's like, um, he's like, no, no, I'm telling you. I said, all right, look. You know, when you partner with somebody, when somebody has a strong feeling, it's like a marriage. Somebody has a strong feeling, you got to respect it. Because if you don't respect it, then you don't really respect your partner. So we kept Will Smith. So every time Will Smith does a Will Smith thing, like hit 270-something and hit home runs in the middle of that Dodgers lineup, I just kind of, when I speak to Rob, I go, hey, nice job on that Will Smith, dude. Nice job. So, yes, I don't know that in a redraft I'm taking him over Real Mudo. But what I will say is I don't I don't ever remember drafting Real Mudo for a long time and I would draft a Will Smith. So, so there you go. I might I, I might tend to agree with you. So, okay, Will Smith number 1. Who else you got? Real Mudo's in the group, so you can count him as two. Adley Rutschman's in this group already. Yeah, I think he is. 
He's there. That's he's uh, he's projected to be 20% better than a league average hitter the rest of the season. This season. By the bad X already for the rest of this season. For which to me puppy. is kind of your, it's the first ingredient in your 2023 projection. If you want to just get a head start on what that's probably going to look like, look at the slash lines for the rest of the season. That's a decent place to start. I said this at the time when Rutschman came up. I said this could fundamentally change this team. You add a superstar like this, a superstar behind the plate who's going to give you, who's going to, you know, defensively help you, offensively help you, leadership help you, everything help you. My friend, Rabbi Ari Sunshine, is the happiest rabbi. He's like, can you believe my Orioles? Oh, my God. He doesn't sound like that, but can you believe it? It was the text. Can you believe it? It's so exciting. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I've never done an Ari Sunshine. I bet I could try, but not tonight. Um, but yeah, so the the Orioles fundamentally are changed by adding a player of that caliber to the team. It's amazing. They would be so much fun if the Baltimore Orioles make it to the playoffs, and they could because they got they, could. they got an absolute young stud. Okay, so Will Smith makes the list. Real Muto makes the list. And Rutschman Rutschman makes the list. Who else is on this list? Contreras is there. I like Contreras, man. He's still right. there because there's two things obviously with catchers: skills and playing time volume yes sir that's the big difference some teams have two good catchers or at least two average hitters that are both great at get managing the staff those guys share sometimes none of these guys that we're talking about so far in those situations at all i think you also have to look at how much they can play other positions or get at bats as a dh alejandro kirk i think is in the group without yeah he is do you, do you put him in that in that category do you put him in the elite? i put him in the category not to draft him at the exact same range because there's there's a couple round gap between the players that you consider to be like a catcher one in a two catcher league the guys that you actually like this circle of trust of catchers where you really want to make sure you've got at least one of these guys yeah so alejandro kirk is fifth among catcher eligible players in plate appearances this season he's fifth on the espn player rater i like going to the espn player rater i just do i somehow i just can break it down a little bit better in my head that way um Kirk is number five on the player rater for the season as a catcher. So he falls in that category. You have not said Dalton Varsho. Does he does he count towards that? I think he would be in this group for me, even if he's he might be listed as an outfielder. No, he'll have catcher eligibility next year. Yeah, he's, he's caught enough. I just think in some of the leaderboards you look at, I mean, some of the stat leaderboards, it doesn't throw him in both places. It just throws him at one. I think Got it throws him in the outfield. Probably would be in the outfield. He plays enough. Yeah, because he, he's playing. He does. He's playing every day or close to every day. So he's he's in this group. Sean Murphy's in this group for me. Team could get better because he could get traded. That's the key. He's already good enough as it is. This guy's name. Did anybody talk about this name? Shea Langoliers. I mean, that's a good name. That's a high-quality name. Isn't it? It's Shea, right? Shea Langoliers? I got that right? Yep. I got the pronunciation. Pronunciation. Do you hear what I said? The pronunciation right (laughs) as well. The pronunciation. There you go. There's your opening. All right, so Sean Murphy makes that list. Okay, I watch him uh, dominate on Eno Saris's AL Labor team. He he hits plenty of home runs. Who else makes this list? You're missing like a big guy. I think Sal Perez is still in this group. I mean, come on, man. I'm taking Sal Perez over almost everybody on this list, except for I'm not. I'll take Will Smith over him. Sal Perez, Sal Perez falls the way he's falling as you're discussing. If he makes it to pick 100, yeah, I'll do that for sure. I'd love to do that. That's seven, eight, eight names, I think, right now. Okay. We're up to eight. But see, here's my thing. So I've listened to this whole idea about it, and I respect it. And obviously, I respect you. I'm not doing that. I'm just not going to do it. I'm never going to do it. I'm always going to try to get a speed guy, power speed guy, maybe a touch of average. I mean, I'm not talking about Cedric Mullins instead. Um but I want, I want to, I, I need to cover speed in this spot because I like the catchers later. I like Travis Darno. I like, if I, you give me next year, this year I came in and I was wrong because I basically said on every team, give me Travis Darno and Omar Narvaez. I pretty much ended up with Travis Darno on every team and Omar Narvaez only on one team, which actually worked out. I ended up with a ton of Travis Darno and Christian Vasquez. I didn't really get sucked into the Gary Sanchez, except for AL Labor. I got a little sucked into Gary Sanchez. That's it. <laughs> Other than that, no, I didn't I didn't get sucked in. Next year, I say, give me Travis Darno. Clearly, I like Travis Darno. And give me um, Jonah Heim. Psh, give me that. And let me spend those, those p- 
Hicks on an outfield two or three or a third baseman, you know? Like Nolan Arenado, Arenado I was getting in the 60s, 70s last year. He's not going to be, he's not going to drop that far. He'll be 54 this year, next year, I think. Don't you? I think it's, I think it's about right. I think he has to move up based on the year that he's having. But, but, you know, do I want real Mudo or do I want Arenado? I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting question, actually. But third bases, I would argue it's harder to find a good third baseman than it is to find a good catcher. Because Jose Trevino shows up, right? So if who, we're talking who, about a one-catcher league, maybe. But in a two-catcher league, you got to fill two. Yeah, I know, but Eric Haas shows up. Or Jacob Stallings shows up. And, and they're not great. They're not great. They're fine. But so what's your opposition to, like, a you know, a top 12 catcher and then a top 25 catcher? You've decided you don't like that style anymore. I'm saying I'm happier with that style because I'd rather spend my, my assets elsewhere. I'd rather spend $8 on Darno than $25 on Real Mudo, which is what you're going to have to spend. Or 20 I'm not going to spend $27 on Will Smith. Are you going to spend $27 on Will Smith? Probably. Really? No, yep. I won't do it. It's not going to happen. You're going to get it. You're going to you're going to beat me for him. Why? Why are you going to do that? Catchers still a dangerous. I love catchers, but they get hurt. You know, they they little dings, little nicks, little balls. Yeah, go everybody off gets of, hurt, man. Yeah. Don't catchers get hurt more? I was a catcher. It used to hurt. 162 games. It's tough to pull off. I don't know. It, uh, it's you know what they say. People say that they like it when people disagree. Well, here we are. We're disagreeing. So. I think the main reason I'm fully on board with this is I did it in a few leagues this year, and every one of those teams, the the consequences, the the opportunity cost of, of getting the, even two good catchers, I didn't get burned. I didn't get burned okay. anywhere. I'm not chasing anything on those teams. Those teams are all fine. Like I'm not missing steals. Nothing turned around. Nothing turned around in the end and, and said. Oh, and because you got those two catchers, you, you're just not good enough at third base, or you're not good enough at their spots. So I think there's enough depth everywhere else to where you can lean into this. I think this group has grown just enough where you don't have to be fully committed to Smith or Ray Mudo as the only guys. That group is bigger than yeah. two or three. It's more like six or seven. And then I think it's totally fine if it's just one of those six or seven plus one more from the next group. I think what you're trying to avoid are the guys that end up sharing. Cal Raleigh, I think, is really good for yeah. that next group. He'd be among the players just on the outside looking in. MJ Melendez might have a case because he's playing way more positions than I expected. He's playing a lot. He's not hitting that great, is he? I mean, he's leading off, but is he running? Man, how many stolen bases? He's, he's, he's not really running. He's got like he doesn't steal bases. I'm not, I'm not getting him because he steals bases. I'm getting him because he hits the ball hard. Yeah, but he also, I mean, he's hitting 227. He's hitting 227, but he's a first time big leaguer. Yeah, with true. 14 homers already. So he's about a 20, low 20 home run pace. Mm-hmm. And that's in his fr- freshman year. See what I did? I turned him back into high school players. Not swinging at a ton of pitches outside the zone, makes a lot of hard contact, already okay. barrels up the ball, and plays multiple positions. So I, I so think he'll, I'm, get, he'll get time, is what you mean. I'm more in than out on Melendez, even at an inflated price. I think he, we're going to have a lot of the same conversations around him that we had with Dalton Varsho a year ago. That's where I think Melendez is going to go. And then the, the, the yeah. Rob DiPietro board has him right in that range, right around pick 100. That was the thing that I took away from that board. I mean, the board is really interesting. And, and I mean, I'd like to, I hope Rob, it's okay. You don't mind that I'm saying, you know, your content, but we're, you know, we're promoting you too. Uh, Trey Turner, one. Otani, two. Hmm, not sure. Jose Ramirez, three. Julio Rodriguez, four. Here, this is the answer to the questions that we had last week. Garrett Cole, five. Acuna, six. Judge fell to seven. You and I were deciding between him being one, two, or three. He went to seven. Look at that. Mm. Eh, I don't know. It's, no, well, maybe. Tucker, eight. Betts, nine. Soto, ten. Harper, 11. To our friend James Anderson. I would, wouldn't mind... I like that team. Well, you know, James James is just dang good. Uh, Freddie Freeman, 12. Corbin Burns, 13. Bobby Wood Jr., 14. Dylan Cease, 15. Ooh, sexy niceness. Vladimir Guerrero, 16. Wow. Alcantara, 17. Alvarez, 18. Devers, 19. Machado, 20. McClanahan, 21. We'll stop there. Although, no, we'll go a little further. Scherzer and then Diaz, the first closer taken in the absolute centerpiece of round two. 
this is going to move me over to another thought. The main event team that Rob and I are playing on are actually doing quite well the last few days. We had gotten as high as four, I think, and then we've dropped as low as 15. I think we're probably back up to 12 or so, uh, depending on how the rest of the night goes. I think Kluber gets a win tonight. That's going to help an awful lot. The great Phil Dussault, and he is great, he dropped Josh Hader last week in our league. Mm. Wow. Dropped. Straight drop. Straight up dropped him. Straight up dropped him. And I called up Rob and I said, Josh Hader just got dropped in fab last night. And he's like, who dropped him? And he said, I said, do so. He said, wow, all right, well, must be a reason. And then the week kept going. And we'd put him in as like, you know, I just put, you know, we just put guys down for a dollar just that we're going to get back to over the weekend. On Typically Sunday is when we'll connect. And we got to Hader and Hader just had the week from Hader hell. Week from Hades. Do you see what I did? Didn't really work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hades. A week from, he had a week from Hades. Is the better play to call it the week from Hater? And kind of, anyway, week from Hades. He had the week from Hades. And I said to, uh, Rob was like, do we want him? I was like, yeah, I think we do. He was taken. So I think we have a record here. He was taken with the 21st pick in the draft. That's where Dusso got him. 20, 20th or 21st pick. Took him with a second round pick. Dropped him. And Rob said, what do you think it's going to take? I said, I think someone's going to bid 15. Let's go 16. Something like that. I was like, I think 16 gets him. He's like, really? I said, yeah, I think so. And we were going for Dustin May because, wow, look at that hair. And wow, look at those strikeouts. And wow, look at that arm. We, we didn't have enough money to get May. And he went for $93 at the end of the end of the run. So I said, I think it's 16 for Hater. And if we don't get him, we don't get him. But I think he's going to turn it around and he's Josh Hader. Well, we got him for $16. We picked up Josh Hader for $16 in the main event. And here's my question. Has there ever been a player taken in the main event that early that was not injured that was then picked up off the wire? And if so, who would that have been? Nobody immediately comes to mind, but this would be the time where I would throw on the Vlad Sedler, Scott Jenstad uh, simultaneous bat signal because this actually feels like right up Scott's wheelhouse. I can't think of anybody. Maybe my memory is just not good enough. Do you know enough. what I mean? Like, who's going who's gonna to be non-injured and then available? I'm sure there are top 50s. There have been top 50 yeah, players I'm cut this late in the year who were healthy and were just bad all year. But some of this is created by the closer inflation. Right? Right. I mean, absolutely. The, the, was the was previous huge. record a closer that went at 40? A few years ago, was there a closer that went in the top 40 or top 50 who previously set this record? That would probably be what it is. But there's no starter who's coming back. I mean, maybe a guy like Bueller who's coming back for... Now, he's not coming back. But if he were to come back in the last three weeks and like you could see that happening. But I don't know. I just I And also, there was news that I, I believe this is correct um, that was read on Twitter that Hater had had a, had had a family issue with a, a, a birth that was challenging. And so that, and then he got traded right after that. And then this game is so much, I'm telling you, it is so much about emotional stability. It's so much about relaxing your nervous system. You know, you throw all that change into the equation and all that kind of challenge into the equation. It's just nothing that says that he's not going to be able to turn it back around. I mean, you've been watching Josh Hader for a number of years. Josh Hader could turn back into the best closer in baseball again, right? The funny thing with a closer Think about the shape of Edwin Diaz's career. Mm -hmm. So now Edwin Diaz's closer one. He's the guy, right? If you're taking the first closer off the board and you can have anybody you want, Edwin Diaz is that guy for most people. Is that fair to say? Yeah. yeah. Can I can I play his his walk up music? Am I allowed, or like, are we gonna have to pay money if I put it on? No, nah, we'll we'll get sued. See, all right, I'm not gonna do it. But dun, 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 I'll just do that. Like, you can't they can't sue me for that. But oh, that that walk up music is world class. World class walk up music. Sorry. But think about the variance that even Edwin Diaz has shown us to this point in his career. Absolutely. We have excellent Edwin Diaz right now. We have seen excellent Edwin Diaz before. We've seen very good Edwin Diaz for long stretches of time. We've seen occasionally bad Edwin Diaz. Oh, yeah. We've seen, we've seen it. We've seen Ariel Cohen crying over Jared Kelnick. Edwin Diaz. <laughs> Oh my God. I used to, when I, no. before, oh, oh my God, before he and I became friends and I went on a show and I was like, I don't really like this guy so much. I'm going to give him a hard time about Jared Kelnick. He was like, oh no, we don't talk about that guy. No, no, no. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Never owned him. Never had him on the mat. It's a dream. It's really a dream. And, and Robinson Cano has been a Met man his whole career. 
You know, I mean, he just, it was so painful. And now you talk to him about that. Ah, oh, yeah, well, you know, knew that Jared Kelnick, he, 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 he's not very good. I mean, he, I knew he wasn't going to be very good. Because now, when Diaz is the premier closer in baseball, right? There's, there's no question about that. I mean, right now, he's the guy people would take first off the board among the closers. Absolutely. Number one. Right, right there in the middle of the second round. That's where he, DiPietro took him with the 23rd pick. And would you do that with a mid-second round pick? No, I wouldn't. No. No. Uh, different, though, it being a draft champions, right? You could make the argument there. I'm not a fan of the draft champions. I'll do one or two just to keep. But but I really like the game of being able to like change your team around. I really I'm too frustrated by having a team that is just decimated by injuries and the draft champions. And there's nothing there's just nothing you can do about it. So under this context of game of the draft champions, I don't I don't. Yeah, I could I could see making that argument, though. Would you take him over to Grom? Would you take him over? Um, I don't know what to do with the Grom. I, I think I think you I think that's a good spot where the, where the guy where the major got him M A G E R I hope I got that right um, I think that's a I think that's a really good spot for him because he's so remarkably good the one argument I have is Trevor Story going at pick thirty one I, I don't I, I can't no 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 right does that make any sense. Um, I wouldn't have done it. Doesn't mean it's wrong. I think the the reason why you would do it is because you want hitters that do everything. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. Trevor Story should do everything. Yeah, he does he though? And he doesn't really hit for average. And that's part of everything. Average is part of everything. I think you can't spell everything without average, without AVG. Nope, you can't do it. It's weird. It's actually very weird that as a righty in Fenway, he's hitting two twenty one this year, but he's striking out more than he has in the last five years at a 30.7% K rate. And by the way, I do know that there's no A in everything. Getting out of cores is a major problem for this guy. I, 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 I'm, I'm a very low on Trevor story. As you can tell from the dynasty rankings that went out, um, just not, not a fan, not, not thinking that that's going to work out. So, you know why I think people would be willing to take story in that spot. There's a few things. The barrel rate, is at 11.7% this year. It's the highest it's been since 2018. I don't think Trevor Story's power was just the byproduct of Coors Field, the home runs, that is. I think there is actually a high 20s, low 30s home run season still in his bat. He's on that pace, right? Look at his pace. 81 games played this year, 15 overs. DVR, what's his average? He's hitting 221 right now. What do you think he's going to hit next year? What, What are you projecting for him if you had to do that today? 246. Okay, 246. So if he hits 246, 80 runs, 80 runs, 24 home runs, 68 RBI, 21 stolen bases. I mean, you're probably not taking him with those runs and RBIs being that low quite that early, but that 20-plus homer and 20-plus speed. All right. All right. It might be a little early, but also if you're picking on an end, you're not getting him. At the end of four, are you? He's probably gone just before that pick. So it was it was now or never. Okay. No, I, I mean, maybe. And again, big shot con over here wasn't in the draft. So I, it's really <laughs> easy and smart for me to stand outside and say, well, you know, rah, 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 shut up, con. That being said, uh, it is interesting content. And yeah, all right. We'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll do an over under on Trevor Story uh, for next year. I, I just, I, I think it's not just the power in cores. I think it's the confidence in cores. I think there's a certain confidence when you step up to the plate where you're like, I can do damage in this giant ballpark where I, you know, the outfielders have to play so far, you know, so deep. This is just a lot of holes here. I don't know. I, I, that's just my, I, I'm not a Trevor story guy. He, he's not hurting me. Like I don't own him anywhere. I just don't, I don't believe. And maybe it's a Red Sox thing. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Uh, can we jump? I, I really wanted to talk a little bit about Jordan Montgomery because trying to make sense of what's going on with him and how he's so successful. I think I have an answer. Can I share it with you? There are two things. And I saw it in his first start because I've watched Jordan Montgomery his entire career. I never particularly like watching Jordan Montgomery pitch because he never shows any emotion. And I actually think that hurts him. I think he needs to open up a little bit. That's just my point of view. I think he might get some more run support if he did. 
because everyone kind of plays to the energy and the emotion of the pitcher on the mound, right? That's why Nestor Cortez, he's up there, you know, doing little Louis Tiant moves, playing loose, and all of a sudden the rest of his team is playing loose. Believe me, I think I think there's something to this because why is it that Jordan Montgomery is getting no support in New York, the lowest run support pretty much for any pitcher, then goes to St. Louis and the same thing is happening. But the difference is last night as I was driving to my son's game at Cooperstown, as I'm driving there, I'm listening to the ninth inning, and Jordan Montgomery is about to throw a one-hit shutout versus the Chicago Cubs. I'm like, why is he doing it? And he's been on this list for two weeks. I've been trying to get to this. Because I really, right? Didn't I put this on not the last week, but the week before? He's got, yeah, it's been on the rundown before, and we didn't get to it. Right. Two things. Yadier Molina. He's giving him the one to two inches on the side of the plate just with the beauty and the the majesty of his framing. It is Remarkable, And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if we look at the metrics, he's not as good a framer. But just from my eyes, boy, can he still strikes. So he's got one. He's got that thing going for him. The other thing he's got going for him, he's this big, lefty, clunky delivery rotation where he hides the ball kind of well. And the issue is, like, if you, you look at his stats through the course of the year, the second time he faces a team and the third time he faces a team, he runs into trouble. So, like... You figure him out after a little while. This trade from the AL East to the NL Central midseason is huge. These guys have never seen the big lefty before. They don't know what to look for. The more often you see a pitcher, the more you get to know him. Now, they may be Jacob deGrom, and you could see him as many times as you want. You're still not going to hit him. But with Jordan Montgomery, this deception is eventually going to fade. And then you're going to see kind of what you were seeing in New York, where you're going to see four runs, five innings, three strikeouts. I mean, that's what you're going to see next year, I would argue, from the Brewers, from the Pirates, from the Cubs, from the Reds, from the teams that get to see him on a regular basis, though I believe the schedule is about to shift. If this is indeed the case, he would be a really good sort of nomadic pitcher, like go pitch in the AL East for for five years. Now go pitch in the NL Central for two years. Now go to the AL West, and you're going to see guys who've never seen you before. Does this hold water? Yeah, I think going to a place where you're matching up against a lot of teams that are not familiar with you late in the year can be a very good thing. Uh, You get extra bonus points in your favor if you end up having Yachty catching you, if you end up in a more pitcher-friendly environment. So we're we're ticking all these boxes. These things are all simultaneously happening. I don't think the NL Central is going to get a whole lot better between now and next season. The Cubs are bad. I don't think they're going to get a lot. They might sign a big free agent, but they may just continue the long game rebuild. The Reds will not scare us with what they do offensively next year. And the Pirates are still going to be in the later stages of their rebuild. So plenty of easy matchups. I like that. I think Jordan Montgomery is good, man. I think the AL East is tough. I, I think when you see the Red Sox, the Rays, the Jays, the, and Orioles. the Orioles, they're not getting better. Like getting When you better. see those teams over and over and over again, and and you have Yankee Stadium as your home park, that's a really tough situation to deal with. It gives me greater appreciation for what Luis Severino has done you know, pre-injury this season and before the big injuries happen. Like, it's really hard to pitch that well in that division, in that home park. I'm much more impressed with Nestor Cortez. Much more. It's amazing impressed. what he's doing. Oh, it's just, and it's true at this point. It's actually kind of true. It's ridiculous what he's doing. But yes, I agree with you. And this Jordan Montgomery trade for Harrison Bader, that's why that happened, doesn't look very good for the Yankees right now because Bader's still not back. He's still walking around in the in the foot, you know, with the with the with the with the with the foot. The boot. The boot. The boot thing. A couple more quick notes before before we have to wrap. I just want to put to everybody's attention that I talk about this every year around this time. This is the golden time as a dynasty league owner. Why? Because a lot of owners are checking out. Why? Fantasy football. What it provides is the opportunity to pick up guys like Stone Garrett, Bubba Thompson, guys like that off the wire. And there's tons of them. Guys who are coming up and getting their shot. We're going to talk about Corbin Carroll in a minute too. The guy last year I did this with, and picked up in Dynasty Leagues left and right? DVR, you know who I'm going to say? Can you guess? Oh, it's 46 minutes in. It's probably time for a Jorge Mateo there mention. There you go, dude. Got him in August of last it does year. Not say, it does not say Jorge Mateo oh. on the rundown. Oh. <laughs> to Ian's credit, his name is not on the rundown. 
anyway, that is, um, but it, it's the realization because we were, t- I was talking with Rob. I was like, where do we get Mateo? He's like, we picked him up. Last-. I was like, wait, no, we picked him up last year in August when he got traded from San Diego and he got moved or released. No, he got traded, moved. I don't remember. Released, ended up with the Orioles. Pick up these guys now. If you picked, if you listen to Nando DeFino and you picked up Bubba Thompson three months ago, you're having fun with the fact that he just stole a sixth base tonight, aren't you? We haven't even started to see the power, really. But that's a trade chip in the offseason or a guy that you build, not build around. But, you know, when we were talking about Trevor Story, it was all that I could do to keep my mouth shut and say, yeah, but how about Jorge Mateo 10 rounds later? Because that's what you're going to get. What is the difference in the stats? What is the difference in the stats between Trevor Story and Jorge Mateo? And if you look at the second half of Jorge Mateo, sorry, sorry, guys, hate to do it, but this was sent to me. Um, Jorge Mateo in the second half, I have this written down. It's very exciting. Here we go. In the first half, 205, 258, 353 with a 70 WRC plus and 303 plate appearances still gave you elite stolen bases. In the second half, DVR, can you give me a, a three, you know, do, do, do it, do it for me and your guess of what is average OBP and slug is and his WRC plus and only 100 plate appearances. But what do you think his average is? 265. 309. Jeez. What is his OBP? 350. On the dot. What is his slug? 440. 574. Oh, whoa, 574. What is his WRC plus? That's going to be pretty high. Uh, 165. 160. With elite glove. Elite. Did you, just, did you just drop your microphone? What was that sound? <laughs> that was literally me dropping the dropping the phone, and it was my drop mic moment. But it, it was a dropped phone. Yes, I literally it sounded like a Glenn Colton. That's what it, it sounded was, it like. Did. No, it was it was it was me. Like going, Glenn Colton just walked into Cooperstown. Well, and you're gl- just, you know giving him the Glenn Colton the is the lawyer, right? Glenn Colton. That's where it should have come from. I think maybe that's where I, I came up with it. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. If who would you rather take, Trevor Story at 31? Or Jorge Mateo at 161. I mean, if you're giving me the 161 131. price. 131. Sure. Okay, so who? I'm asking, who would you rather take? Trevor Story at 31 or Jorge Mateo at 131? If I know Mateo's going to be there, I can do something really fun with that other pick. I mean, you could get Brandon Woodruff with that other pick. Let's see who came right after that other pick. Let's see if sure. if that if that plays better. You could get Bo Bichette at that pick. You could get Emmanuel Classe at that pick. You could get Lindor. You could get Albies. You could get Starling Marte. You could get Pete Alonso at that pick. Jazz Chisholm. Jordan Romano. Paul Goldschmidt. Gossman. T. Oscar. I don't know about that one. I'm not in love with that. Verlander. You could do something really fun with that pick. And get the mm, thing. You can. Get, get what you want later. That's, that's Ariel Cohen speaking in my ear. Where's the value? That's my argument about the catchers. I'm going to ask Ariel. He's going to listen to the show. Oh, it's a good show. I really enjoyed it. By the way, won my pickleball tournament. I did. Literally, that was a conversation I had with Ariel Cohen last night. And his wife, lovely wife, piped in and said, he beat a, she, he beat a bunch of 60-year-olds. 60-year-old women. <laughs> she said it. <laughs> she said it. She actually said it. Well, you know, but I did win. I, I won the tournament. I am the pickleball champion. And I love pickles. Lido Deli. Mm-hmm. Kosher Deli. Can't go wrong. Anyway, I'm not saying, I'm just saying to wrap it all up and Jorge Mateo at the end of the year, that's what it's going to be all about. But the point was, get your Stone Garrett's Bubba Thompson's. Who else do you have, DVR, that is coming up right now that it's like, yo, give, grab him. Grab him now because Corbin Carroll is going to come up. And the reason he's going to come up is because he's going to get him a free draft pick because he's going to get him ready to come up and be win the rookie of the year. And because of the new, the bargaining agreement, that's something that's opened up in a way that it never opened up before. I don't think people are going to be as interested in manipulating time service. They'd rather get the pick because then you get six more years of an extra player, right? Like it actually makes sense to do that. So who are the guys that you've seen so far just in the last couple of weeks that are now up that you look at and say, huh, that might be a guy. Langoliers for sure, but he was a prospect all along. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if, if that counts as he was like available. an actual kind of pop up under the radar guy. 
I think because he's got a clear rotation spot, I think J.P. Sears is going to be one of those late-season pickups that ends up giving you good innings in in deeper mixed leagues. I don't think we're talking about J.P. Sears as a a great 12-team mixed league, start him all the time kind of guy. Nope. But... I'm thinking about this more keeper dynasty deeper league. Yes, please. You know who's going to pop up for a couple bucks now that Kerry I'm going Carpenter. to actually hold on to and use a lot. Kerry Carpenter, maybe Carpenter, maybe uh, Michael Massey is a good example of someone that came up a few weeks ago that I think is going to be fighting for a, a regular opportunity and he can do a lot of things in terms of power and speed, especially the speed. Where I could definitely see like Massey as a dollar keeper being a twelve to fifteen dollar player in some deep leagues next year. Those are the guys you can get now. Those are the guys that are available. And if you're paying attention and you're and if you're listening to the show, you're still thinking about fantasy baseball. Mwah, I love you. You should be. It's awesome. Now's the time to pick those guys up. Jose Barrero is showing up on leagues. I'm I'm just taking a quick look at um, at Maki. You know, Matt Manning is coming back up. Is he available off your wire? Doesn't really fit into that. But Joey Menzies is Joey Menzies not worth a buck just to see. Just to see? He's tricky because the Nationals are probably still going to be very bad next year. I don't think they would necessarily spend up to block him in the immediate future. But you're talking about a 30-year-old who's playing in the big leagues for the first time right now. And a player like that can disappear very quickly. Agreed, but sometimes they turn into Luke Voigt and then have a certain amount of value that can stick around for a little while. Right, you get Voigt sort of like the almost one of the best case scenario outcomes for a player like this. Max Muncy was a little younger, I think, when he got that opportunity and, and cashed it in. But I think Frank Schwindel, if you picked him up late last season, That's what held him, yeah. rostered him all year. You were probably pretty disappointed about what you got this year. Yeah, but you got sent down. You trade him in the offseason. Even these guys like Bubba Thompson is a nice trade piece right now going into the offseason for me. You go to a team, a dynasty team that needs speed, looking to rebuild still, right? You send them Bubba Thompson. It's a lottery ticket that if it could turn into, I don't know if I necessarily think he's ever going to really turn into that. It's just a good time of the year to be looking at the Jake McCarthy's of the world. Jake McCarthy's back up. Jake McCarthy's doing stuff. Cal Mitchell hasn't really done it, but you know what? If you're if you're carrying Charlie Blackman on your roster right now, you could drop Charlie Blackman in, in a dynasty league to pick up. Could you? Would you drop a Charlie Blackman to pick up a Will Benson? Mm, if it's a twenty team league and I'm 15, starting five no, outfielders, no, 15, 15. 15, 15 and five, I'm still probably. Still having a hard time giving up on Blackman. Yeah, I keep trying to cut he's him, just, and I never he's do. Just good enough. What about Lars Newtbar? Would you do it for Lars Newtbar? Good name. Cut Blackman for Newtbar. I would do that. I would do that. Uh, I guess. Yeah, I think probably. I think I would do that just for the just for the age upside. Anyway, just keep paying attention. I think is is the real thing. Now we got to get to this. DVR, you and I have been talking about these starting pitching decisions now off the show for quite some time. So I'm going to give you an example. This is an example from a number of weeks ago, but we're going to use it. You've got a great pitcher in a really tough matchup versus a decent pitcher in a really good matchup. Which way will you go? I'm going to give you an example. One example, but it really does kind of show show the situation. Who are you going to start? you got one spot left. I think I know the answer. Eh, Joe Musgrove at Los Angeles Dodgers, who are like just too good. Or Martin Perez versus Detroit. Which way are you going? So I think the way I've played it for the entire time I played fantasy baseball, I would still play Joe Musgrove in this situation. Because I guess in this specific example, Musgrove is... Good enough as a pitcher, top 25, top 30, where I'm still better off in in my mind with the projection. I'm better off with Musgrove in that spot than I am with Martin Perez, probably a fringy top 75 guy skills-wise, even though results-wise he's been better so far against a bottom three, you know, pretty terrible offense. So the things that would come into focus here, though, and, and it can actually make a decision swing one way versus the other. 
at Los Angeles makes a difference here. Yes. Right. Pitching in Petco is especially at night would make me a lot more comfortable with Musgrove. So maybe because Musgrove is on the road and Perez is at home. Maybe. Why San Diego at night? I'm sorry. I'm out on this. I'd like to temperature under- cool marine layer. It's just the conditions. There. Okay. During the day when the marine layer burns off, it's warmer. The ball carries. Better. Thank you. That's all. Thank you. See, got to learn. Got to learn. Got to learn. That's me. I got to learn. You lived in California. I did. You yeah. yeah I just and I, you, you were so clear about that. You're like, well, San Diego at night. I was like, oh, well, I don't know. So I don't know. There's probably somebody else who doesn't know. And now, you know, it's about the marine layer. I have heard that before. Uh, I just didn't know in the context. All right. So, so you, it's Joe Musgrove at, it's Joe Musgrove. Let's call it this way. It's a Joe Musgrove Sunday afternoon game in Los Angeles. My old neighbor, in my, my old neck of the woods near Los Feliz in Silver Lake in Echo Park. Or Martin Perez versus Detroit at Detroit. Let's say at Detroit. At Detroit. Okay, so they're both on the road. Which, well, which one do you want to do? You want to do at home or at Detroit? I think if they're both on the road, I'm playing Musgrove. If Perez is at okay, home. Okay, let's say Perez at home then. That's probably close. That's a close enough decision that might actually swing it. I think the decisions are that close. If it's Musgrove on the road at the Dodgers versus Martin Perez at home versus Detroit, I am very confidently starting Martin Perez at home versus Detroit. I don't want anything to do with that lineup. With the bottom of that lineup, I don't want to have anything to do with. I don't want to have anything to do with the middle of that lineup. And I most assuredly do not want to have anything to do with the top of that one. No, sir. Nope. Not interested. The only guys I start against the Dodgers are guys that I'll also start at Coors. That's a very, very short list. So, so you've got, okay, you get them in that level. Yeah, that's where, oh yeah, that's where I'm at. I, I, Verlander, I'll go through the list. I'll start Verlander there. I'll start McClanahan there. I'll start Sandy Alcantara there, and I got burned for it this past weekend. Shows shows you even Sandy Alcantara. I'll start Corbin Burns there. Julio Urias is <laughs> doesn't count. Uh, Dylan Cease, I would start there. Alec Manoa, I would start there because he's such a badass. Carlos Rodon, I will not. Aaron Nola, I will not. Max Scherzer, I will, just out of respect. Garrett Cole, <laughs> I will. Nestor Cortez, I won't. Zach Gallen, I won't. Framber Valdez, I won't. Tristan McKenzie, no way. You Darvish, if I can avoid it, I will not. Kyle Wright, no. Zach Wheeler, no. But there's one other guy who I will. I'll start Spencer Strider against anybody, anywhere, anytime. So I guess the the bigger question, and then we'll, we'll wrap it after this. How do you actually make this decision? How much of this is gut? How much of this is recent trends? How much of this is the quality of the lineup over the entire season? The Dodgers had the best offense in baseball for the entire regular season by a reasonable margin. They have a 121 WRC plus as a team, 21% better than a league average lineup. You're so good. So you think about these things and you say, okay, the Dodgers are that good and you're scared of the Dodgers. Where do you draw the line beneath them, right? The Yankees are not that far behind. The Jays aren't that far behind. Mm-hmm. I don't like starting Cardinals, Astros, Mets, those are all really good yeah, lineups, really too. I don't start against those guys either. Some of the guys that are fringy for the Dodgers matchup, maybe you'd push them in against the Mets or the Astros yeah. or the Cardinals. Not maybe. the Astros. <laughs> I don't want to start against the Astros, man. These decisions, I, I think this, it's kind of like being a manager. Yeah. Of a real baseball team. Yeah. Like you have a lot of information. You use that information to make good decisions. But sometimes you just got to decide because the decision is so close. It, it's a such a close decision that you choose based on the things that matter to you, which could be very soft sciences. Oh, um, that's how I play. I'll tell you how I do it, and I encourage people to try it. I try to have a moment where I think about it, and I say, how am I going to feel when Corey Kluber is on the mound and that matchup in that situation? One to ten, how comfortable am I? And then I'll put it against the other person who's pitching in a certain situation, and I'll just feel it, and I'll say... I don't want to wake up in the morning and worried about worrying about Corey Kluber going to Houston. It's going to make me unhappy. If I can avoid it, I will. Certain leagues you can't avoid it. AL Labor can't avoid it. If he, you know, Robbie Ray is going to pitch against everybody. Jameson Tyone, everybody. It doesn't matter, like because they're on my team, and that's how the league works. NL only in in Tout Wars. Same same idea. And by the way, second place is so much more fun than first place. 
I am so much more relieved now that I think I'm down a point. Maybe I'm back up. I, I'm not even going to look. I'm kind of hoping I'm just going to be down. Sorry, I sidebarred us, but second place is more fun than first place. It's more fun to chase than to be chased. But what I do is I just sit with it. I'm just, I just be with it. And I just try to imagine what the night is going to be like and what's going to work out better. That's what I try to do. I try to I go through their lineup and I go, oh, yeah, he's going to struggle with Altuve. Oh, geez. And then this guy's Jordan. Oh, no, Bregman's hot again. No, no, nope. Don't want any part of that. And then that makes my decision for me. I don't look at the WRC plus unless it's Jorge Mateo. And it's backing up my <laughs> my my gut and my feeling. But it's really a gut feel for me. That That's how I do it. How do you do it, DBR? I'm trying to visualize the problem for this week. I think there were a few leagues this week where I was looking at Eric Lauer with two starts, and the first of those starts was at the Dodgers. Nope. And, and what I was trying to do was push out narrative, right? There's this Eric Lauer against the Dodgers. His numbers against them are great. Going back to his time with the Padres. He's the Dodger whisperer. He somehow gets it done against them. And I, I, I think to myself, well, that's bull. Like, I don't really believe that. <laughs> that's it. Like, I want I, like I want to believe those. Th- I, I want him to, to just own the Dodgers every time he pitches for rooting purposes. But I, I can't I can't use that. So I, I think about realistically, I think about the full season form and I make sure I correct for any key players that are not in the lineup. So, for example, right now, if you look at the Phillies' full season numbers, that's mostly with Bryce Harper. It's a lot of Bryce Harper cooked in there. Without Bryce Harper, they're probably about a league average or slightly below league average offense. With him, they're probably 8 to 10% better than a league average offense. So I think messing with Philly without Harper is easier, much easier to do yeah. than messing with the Phillies with Harper. So I try to make sure that the, the season numbers are realistic based on the current makeup of the lineup with injuries, anything else that's changed, players that have... So you actually go and look at the numbers? You go, you go and look at the numbers for each one of these things? I'll look them up if I haven't checked them in a while, but I, I think it's one of those things, because I spend so much time just looking at these things, mm-hmm. I, I just trust I trust my instinct. And if I'm not sure, I'll check the numbers. Just to okay, okay. No, I'm down with that. I'm down with that. Like, trust your instinct. And if you're in doubt, when I'm in doubt, I, I go to Tristan Cockroft's um, forecaster, and I just take a look. And I see if he's in line with what I'm thinking. And because I like Tristan, I like him personally. And I also like the way he thinks about pitching, about the game. So, but, so we're, we're not that different then. We're both playing. You got to play into your, your intuition. That's what the game is about. It's like, remember earlier in the season when I said to you that I picked up Albert Pujols in NL Tout Wars and I spent $88 on him. Do you remember? And I said it was really one of my worst pickups of the year. And I told you the reason I did that is because in my heart and in my mind, there was going to be this great renaissance in his final year as he's going around. Remember I said this? I was like, I was convinced that Pujols was just going to come home to St. Louis and just explode and just turn into the Pujols of old. It's like right before you die, you have like one, like if you're really old, like this happens with a number of relatives of mine, like right before they died, like we would see them like a day or two before and they'd be like, oh my God, I feel amazing. And then like you find out that they passed, right? <laughs> oh, really? It's oh, yeah. happened to more than one person, it has. you know? Yeah, my, my, my wife's grandmother, who was lovely and she was like 98 years old and we went to visit her and she was like, this is wonderful. And then the next day she was gone. Like it, it happened, it, it's happened a couple of times. And, and I think that that happens in careers as well. Like for actors, like Steve Martin is retiring after doing this wonderful show on Only Murders in the Building. It's like you get that last little jump and then you're done. Then you're going to retire. Something about that. I had that feeling about pools and I was like, look, he's doing it. Now he's doing it. This is it. This is what, you know, this is the story. So it really is about that story as you watch the game. Like, make a story in your head. See if it makes sense. Do you think that Eric Lauer is going to do it? Like, Spencer Strider, I'm just like, you're super, you're, you know, Spencer Strider, I'm just giving him his, his new nickname. He's Spider-Man. Spencer Strider's Spider-Man. He's, he's a slightly older Spider-Man. He's young, but he's not a teenager anymore, but he just does magical stuff that he shouldn't be able to get done. Like, make the story up in your head. Is he going to be able to come back and do that to what he did to the Mets the other night? Yeah, I think he can. Logan Webb, do you think he's going to do uh, Well, we'll feel. Just feel it out. Feel it out. I think that intuition will take you far. And, it, and I'm what my argument is that it can work for you too. It can work for everybody. I'm not saying to disregard math. Regard math. Do, do as much math as you want. But also, feel it through. 
get a feel for it. Maybe it's maybe it's crazy. I, I promise I'll hear from people. They'll let me know. That's the dumbest. Ian Cotton, that's the dumbest. Okay. Just telling you what works for me. That's all I can say. For just me explaining myself, I think my brain has absorbed so much random information constantly about baseball for the last 15 years. That's where my, my trust in myself yes, comes from. that's what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm not on the, the high wire with no net. Right. It's that I know that the net is there. I know how many steps it takes to get across the high wire because I've gone through the process over and over and over again while continuing to get new information. I go outside. I'm measuring the wind. I'm thinking of all these things. And I, I know, <laughs> oh, today's a little breezy, a little more dangerous out here on the wire today, but it's all good. I've yes. seen these conditions before. like So... Again, I know that doesn't work for everyone, but the types of things you're looking at, you're looking at the park, you're looking at whether it's home or away, you're looking at injured players mm-hmm. and whether or not, or, or new call-ups in the case of other teams, it can go the other way. A team that was underperforming earlier in the year can get better. That can happen And the other too. thing so, is just look, feel, feel what you think is going to happen and then play to that. Imagine it. Is there a way that Freddie Peralta is going to throw seven shutout innings against the Chicago Cubs Thursday night? Can he do that? Or is it not really Always. For that? All right, well then, go with that. That's the... Always in this case is me just chuckling as a Brewers fan, but it, it's more based on the reality. How, how many pitches has he been throwing? Right? He's up, to, he he's up now. He's up to, he got like up to 100. He got up to 100. Right. And that's why it was a snap. Yeah, he could do that because he's fully stretched out. The matchup is good. The team he's facing is bad enough when they're bad to... Look what Jordan Montgomery did to, to him happen. last night. And the same thing with Jordan, Josh Hader. Can you imagine? I try to imagine it. Do I imagine that he's done for the year? That he's just going to be a seventh inning guy doesn't make sense. That's not how it's going to go. He's going to—they're going to have to try him back there. They gave up so much. This is me just talking into my head, right? No, they're going to. He's going—he'll get—he'll get another opportunity. He's going to sit out for a couple of days. Luis Garcia will get the save. He'll come in in the seventh in a blowout game. He'll come in one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. He'll strike out two guys, get 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 himself a pop up. All of a sudden, he'll come in. He'll do one more, and then he's going to be back in the ninth inning. He's going to be a top five closer in baseball again. It's all about confidence. So just try to read that confidence. That's what it's about. At least that's that's what I do. It's what I do. We got to go. Yeah, we do. For the man who just made everyone afraid to feel really good at any point again in their entire lives, Ian Khan. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. That was not the plan, but okay. I'm Derek Fedriper. I'm so terrified to feel good when I wake up tomorrow feel morning. good. Nando is back next week. We will, of course, talk about Artie Moreno uh, being willing to sell the Angels at that time. Thanks for listening. Good talk. Good talk. Bye. Bye.